You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 114 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is author Mark Booth, a.k.a. Jonathan Black, which is his pen name. Two of his books are The Secret History of the World and Sacred History. Mark has also worked as an editor or publisher, or both, with a wide range of authors, such as Graham Hancock, Rupert Sheldrake, the Dalai Lama, Emma Kalman, who appeared in episode 91, if you want to check that out, Christopher Knight, and Banksy, and tons, tons more. So let's get right to it. Uh, here's uh, Mark Booth, a.k.a. Jonathan Black. So thanks for being on the podcast. Well, I'm, I'm very, uh, very happy to do it. I mean... Uh... You, you have been, uh, you've got some fascinating material on your website. I mean, a huge range of very interesting and uh, and thoughtful interviews and essays. So, can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Um, uh, my my real my real name is Mark Booth, and. Um, I'm published under my real name in uh, America, but um, in the rest of the world, uh, I'm called Jonathan Black. And uh, uh, my uh, real identity isn't isn't a huge secret. Um, I just I use the pen name because um, I work in uh, in publishing in London. And um, I just thought it would be better to uh, um, have a different uh, name when I'm doing different jobs, so there's no confusion. And I worked for uh, for over 30 years in publishing and um, uh, in 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 a, in a general uh, fiction and non-fiction list. Um, at the moment, I'm working on a, on, a, on a project with Pete Townsend of The Who. Um, he's, uh, he's working on uh, a third rock opera in the series. Um, Tommy Quadrof- and uh, the first two being Tommy and Quadrophenia, and I'm helping him with, with the story of that. Um, but I've also, I've also published quite a few um, authors in the uh, spiritual and esoteric area. I, I try to squeeze those onto the list when my bosses aren't looking. Um, but I, I published, for example, uh, well, I am Graham Hancock's publisher and Rupert Sheldrake's, um, Robert Temple's, uh, quite, quite, quite a few writers in this sort of area. Um, and my first book, uh, Jonathan Black, was was the secret history of the world, and um, uh, I think it's a book which is which is quite unlike any other that that's been published. And and the point of the book was to 
um, look at uh, all the all the hidden traditions about history, which are um, nurtured in in secret societies, and to to drag them all into the light of day, which which many people in those groups think one ought not to do, but. Um, uh, I, th I think I think it's a good thing to do because I think this knowledge ought to be available, and I just I wanted to to try to to tell it all through a story, through a narrative, uh, so that the philosophical ideas would unfold out of the narrative, just to try to make it, just to try to make it as easy a read as possible. I mean, some of the ideas are inevitably quite difficult, but. But I thought it was my job to make it as easy as possible. And I didn't try and prove any of it, which would have taken a whole library of books. I just wanted to say, look, look, here it is. This is what uh, uh, esoteric philosophers believe. And, um, and I hope that some people would read it and that it would resonate with them and they would think, yes, that, that's the world as I experience it. And so um, then, I, a few years later, I decided to write the, write the sacred history, which is um, uh, not as ludic, not as games playing a secret history of the world. It's actually a book of of argument, and I try to make the argument that um, that we we should that there are good reasons for believing. Uh, in a mystical account of history and our experience. What was it that made you initially start having this interest for esoteric subjects? Um, I think it was because um, as a child uh, I had some experiences um, of the supernatural, and um, I remember I remember being conscious in in adolescence of uh, of, of those kinds of experiences fading. So um, so this was the nineteen seventies, and I and I and I consciously I, I consciously took LSD as a way of trying to. Um, to pull some of these experiences uh, back, and I uh, I studied um, I studied philosophy and theology uh, as a student, and I found that the um, that the philosophy ate up all the theology, so there was no theology left by the end. And uh, English academic uh, philosophy is is tends to be very uh, uh, analytical and um, uh, very keen on on formal logic, and um, and uh, it, 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 the English tradition is an, is an is an empirical tradition, and um, and and can be can erode uh, religious belief, and that and that's what that's what happened to me and, uh, and and I found it quite uncomfortable. I regretted uh, um, 
learning that uh, that that my my spiritual experiences as a child had been uh, had been mere delusions, and um, and then I started to work in 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 publishing, and uh, uh, I published some books in in philosophy and theology, and I began to get a bit of a name for it, and then um, one day. Uh, a man came to see me who 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 seemed to be um, very different to everyone else I'd met. And he had a business proposition for me, which was that I should uh, uh, I should republish some uh, alchemical texts and he would write a new introduction and commentary to them. And and that 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 didn't that didn't happen, um, but we became uh, firm friends, and um, we used to go out for long lunches quite a lot. And uh, he was very knowledgeable, and uh, I discovered eventually what what was different about him, which um, which is that he was an initiate, a fairly high-level initiate of three secret societies. Um, uh, and one of those secret societies, he was he was initiate of the of the highest order. And uh, he used to he used to write me uh, letters which he'd typed out on a typewriter that had belonged to Uspensky. Um, so, so, so here I was, uh, friends with an initiate. Um, you, you, I might even describe him as a as a magus, and uh, that was a wonderful opportunity because uh, I found that I could ask him almost anything, and and he would he would tell me, and occasionally he would say, oh, "I'm afraid I'm not permitted to tell you that," but. Um, uh, but I, but I, I learned an enormous amount, and it helped me to to make sense of uh, a lot of the esoteric material I I had been reading, and it began to make make shapes in my mind, and um, uh, and really, I suppose the the secret history of the world grew out of that experience. Um, and then, just as I was I was finishing um, uh, the secret history of the world, I met um, a remarkable woman called Lorna Dern, who um, who had been told by the angels to come from uh, uh, rural Ireland to seek me out in London. Uh, the angels had given her my name, and uh, uh, and, the, and the plan, the angels' plan was to be that I was to publish her book, and I really didn't want to do it. I was very busy at the time. I thought I was overworked. Um, uh, I was going to say no, but gradually it was borne in on me that this is what I had to do, and um, Lorna is a remarkable person because um, she doesn't just strain to have 
uh, mystical experiences occasionally. Um, she is in a mystical state of consciousness all the time. She sees angels, uh, the dead, um, uh, all the different types of spiritual being that there are are present to her all the time. And so my meeting Lorna and becoming friends with her was, was, was extremely interesting because um, here was somebody who was having um, direct experience of the different orders of angels, nature spirits, demons, uh, higher orders of angels were called gods in other traditions. She was having direct personal experience of all the things um, that I'd been writing about in, in The Secret History of the World. And, um, and even quite detailed stuff so that in uh, mystical and esoteric tradition, the Archangel Michael is the Archangel of the Sun, and the Archangel Gabriel is the Archangel of the Moon. Well, that is how she sees them, um, and uh, and it was it's also it's also very interesting for her because she's uh, she's highly dyslexic and also has a lot of other things distracting her. She hasn't read a book in her life, and so. Um, she was very glad to hear that uh, in the course of history, um, other, people, other people have had uh, the same experiences and, and encountered the same spiritual beings. Um, so she is an extraordinary person. Uh, the, the American theologian Matthew Fox has, has compared her with the medieval saint Hildegard of Bingham. I think she probably is uh, very unlike anyone else, uh, at least living in the West at the moment. And, 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 and so and meeting Lorna and getting to know Lorna um, made me decide to write a much more uh, serious uh, book without the kind of ludic games-playing element of the secret history of the world, and and in this book, I try to I try to argue why we should why we should believe these things, and I also argue I think that we all have spiritual experiences, um, but we're we're kind of conditioned to um, to to screen them out. Um, can I ask you if if you if you what 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 led you to your um, study of uh, alchemy and shamanism it began when i was a child when i became i watched there were two movies actually that mm. uh, shaped my future when i was like seven years old one was uh, indiana jones yes of course <laughs> and the Very other fun. one was uh, excalibur which right. is which yes. is still one of my favorite films uh, yes and uh, uh so both Indiana Jones and Excalibur deal with the Holy Grail and I became fascinated with the Holy Grail which mm. led me to look into the Bible because that's where Robert de Boron 
injected the Holy Grail with Joseph of Arimathea when he collected the blood from, from Jesus when he died. And uh, from there it's just spiraled. And then one day, many, many, many years later, I just stumbled on 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 the rest. <laughs> you know, one thing led <laughs> to another. Yes, and, uh, it's like that, isn't it? Mm. Um, yes. And what, what, you, have you come to any conclusions about what the Grail is? I think for me it's just a, um, a state of mind. It's uh, like a symbol right. of, uh, of uh, like a higher spirit of yourself, what you can reach or achieve. Right, yes. And um, I can't remember the exact way he phrases it, but Paracelsus said something about that all, you know, the whole secret is in the imagination. Well, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. You, you quote uh, uh, Paracelsus. I was, just, I was just visiting his tomb in uh, Salzburg the other day. I think, I think that, I think that, I think that, it, that's very interesting, partly because uh, Paracelsus has a very um, elevated idea of the imagination, doesn't he? Because in in uh, certainly in 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 modern uh, English parlance, uh, imagination is often equated with uh, fantasy, with stuff that isn't true. Whereas I think that for uh, someone like Paracelsus, um, the imagination is uh, a creative power which can uh, influence the material world and influence the form of matter and move matter around because it is um, it is an outflowing of God's imagination, the imagination uh, that God used in creation. Um, so, uh, for me, um, those elevated ideas uh, of, of imagination are, are intimately connected with um, uh, both the Grail and with uh, and with alchemy. Um, because I think that uh, that both are about um, transforming, spiritualizing, transfiguring matter, um, starting with our own bodies, but then by some psychosomatic universal effect, uh, beginning the process of of transforming all, all the matter in the in the in the universe, I don't know if that ties in with your own beliefs at all. Yes, uh, well, as for belief, I I try to limit it to direct experience. So, if mm. or if somebody else has had a direct experience, I can't really say it's not true because I wasn't no. there, you know. <laughs> So, in case of this person, Lorna, you mentioned, you know, only she knows what she experienced. And then we have to take her word for it. But I don't like this thing where people mm. say, oh, that was just a dream you had or something. Well, if you had I that suppose, dream, you would know. 
<laughs> yes. Well, I think that's true. But on the other hand, um, uh, when well, the first time I met Lorna, um, she uh, because one of the things that she can do is that she can see the flow of energy through your body uh, if she's standing in front of you. And she obviously saw a blockage in me, and she kind of she looked at my abdomen and said, "You you need uh, you need to go to the doctor. You need you need to have an operation." And I think, like most uh, men, I was uh, I I I panicked. I was tremendously hypochondriac about it for about twenty four hours, and then I forgot all about it. And uh, and then two or three months later. It turned out that uh, I had a, a hernia, precisely where she said, and I did need an operation. Now that's an interesting, for me, instance of how, uh, uh, yes, she can see all these other worlds, these other dimensions, but but if they kind of, but if they interweave with the material world that we all share. If they interweave with it and can change it, if it checks out, then then that is that is a reason for believing it's true, isn't it? Do you, would you say that uh, Lorna behaves in a childlike way? I don't mean childish. I just mean like childlike. Well, I think I think you know I think we both said that that we we have spiritual experiences as children and I think that that Lorna would say that that when we're we're very young we all see uh, angels and spirits but we're 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 conditioned we're conditioned to screen them out and um, and so to, to that extent I think I think I think she is she is um, she is childlike. I mean, I think I said earlier. I think I said earlier that she has a completely, completely different mode of consciousness to the rest of us. I don't think it's exactly that. I think that. Um, I think that. I think we we all live by um, a useful assumption, which helps us to, to to rub along together and get by, which is that we all share the same form of consciousness. But I, in fact, I think the reality is that there's a spectrum of consciousness, and uh, at one end of the spectrum you have somebody like like Lorna Byrne, who is uh, completely tuned into the um, spiritual realms, and at the other end, um, at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, you 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 come to people who are are much more down to earth and analytical. Uh, um, autistic people tend to be at this end of the spectrum. Um, scientists tend to be at this end of the spectrum, and somebody like Richard Dawkins is right right at the other end of the spectrum of consciousness to Lorna, I think, and uh, and so. His his uh, his theories of science are based on the uh, on the form of consciousness that he has, um, but I suspect that uh, that you and I 
are, are probably rather more towards the uh, the Lorna Byrne end of the spectrum. Yes, and Dawkins, I think he should stick to writing his scientific investigations <laughs> rather than what he's doing now, because he is turning into some asshole, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's, that's true, yes. I mean, you know, I just think, why why would I accept uh, any philosophy of life, any advice on how to live from Richard Dawkins? You know, I might be interested in his theories on biology, but not his theories on life. It's funny also, because I'm not sure about Darwin, but I know that Isaac Newton, who is one of the one of the great founding fathers of modern science was a big believer in God and alchemy. So I think it's yes. quite ironic. But I think, I think, it, I think, I think, yes, I think Newton, like, like Paracelsus, is, is a sort of tra- traditional figure, a transitional figure, rather. Um, uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, uh, um, deeply, uh, both figures deeply immersed in alchemy, but um, also among the, the 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 founding fathers of of modern science. And I think that I think that, um, that I mean they're genius-like figures. They can look in both directions. But I suppose. That it also gives us a clue um, to to what what alchemy um, is, what's distinctive about it as a spiritual tradition, because I think that um, uh, both men were involved in uh, trying to codify and uh, categorize and put into formulas um, uh, the objects of everyday experience in the material world. And I think that alchemy uh, is also an, uh, is, is an attempt to think uh, systematically about uh, spiritual experience. And uh, it's, it's, it's also about uh, conducting, uh, conducting experiments um, I think I think I think that it's it's very significant that uh, that Newton and Paracelsus were were were, were chemists as well as uh, alchemists. It's so much baggage with the word God. I don't like it so much, but uh, because uh, it's it's a thing. It's hard to to name, but I I don't see, I see it as some sort of energy, uh, eternal energy of some sort. But the 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 big debate is always: Did God create everything, or is it evolution? And and my position is always that uh, whatever God is, He created evolution. So it's quite simple. Yes. yes. Well, I suppose we we have a problem with the word God because um, because because we have a problem with organized religion, and, and we associate the two. And uh, you know, organized religion. Uh, um, well, I suppose there are some exceptions. The uh, the uh, evangelical right in America, and obviously ISIS. But um, uh, I would say that in in most uh, civilized countries, 
organized religion is in uh, is in historical decline, and uh, organized religions involved uh, all sorts of intellectual compromises, uh, also a certain amount of uh, corruption. Um, it involved uh, an acceptance of authority, which, 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 which not many people in our, our countries find acceptable anymore. Um, so I think I think I think the interesting thing is is you know what what is acceptable in organised religion? What can we take away from it that is is valuable? And and for me, um, one of the big answers to that that question is um, is is esoteric philosophy, the the, the hidden teachings, the inner teachings. Um, and I think you're right about uh, about creation. I mean, I think I think that the that the, the, the spiritual view of creation and the materialistic view are are starkly different. Um, in the uh, in the materialistic view of creation, um, the process began about uh, is it thirty seven billion years ago, and then very much later, uh, consciousness arose on this planet um, as a result of uh, the chance fizzing together of certain chemicals. Um, in the spiritual view, uh, it's the other way around, that uh, um, there was a great cosmic mind, which one may or may not choose to call God, and matter was, was gradually precipitated out of that, um, soft at first, growing harder, finding fixed forms, and then looping our conversation round again, um, the, the work of uh, the Holy Grail and alchemists is to, to make it softer and lighter again and to spiritualize it. And um, on, on the kind of esoteric spiritual view, that is, that is our destiny, that is our task, to, to spiritualize transfigure ourselves and then the whole universe i see uh, living life as i try to view it as going to school trying to uh, master this spiritual or or this uh, internal uh, way to be uh, because i think when you're born into this world that's actually a death and when you die mm. that's when you're born and there's actually a few indigenous cultures who celebrate the death of a person, and they actually cry when they're born. Really, yes. Well, I, I agree. I agree with everything you say there. And um, and uh, first of all, with with the idea that it's desirable to to continue to keep learning all the time, and I think that uh, that's one of the problems we've. Uh, a lot of us have with organized religion is, is the idea of dogma. I think that, um, uh, you know, if anyone thinks they know everything and the whole truth, uh, 
they're deluded, they're wrong, because because truth keeps evolving all the time, and we we have to to strive to keep up with it. Um, and yes, I agree. Also, I, I uh, and of course, as you know, uh, initiation, which you mentioned earlier, is often uh, talked about as being um, as being uh, a type of death. You die to the um, you die to your old self, and you're reborn. Um, I write in the Secret History of the World about how um, Jesus is raising of Lazarus um, was in esoteric tradition um, the performing for the first time of an esoteric rite of initiation in public and that was that was very shocking for the authorities because um, in esoteric groups, mystical groups and secret societies there is always um, a battle between uh, uh, people who think that uh, this knowledge ought to be more widely known and that it ought to be shared and it's good for people to know about these things. And then there are always, um, there are always uh, conservative factions who, who want to keep it to themselves, uh, perhaps as part of uh, maintaining uh, their own power. Um, for example, uh, one of the great uh, spiritual and esoteric teachers of the uh, of the uh, of the nineteenth century, um, uh, continuing on into the twentieth century, was was Madame Blavatsky, and um, uh, a group of uh, conservative uh, esoteric thinkers and uh, practices of uh, ceremonial magic um, performed a ceremony to put her into what into uh, what is sometimes called occult imprisonment, and that meant that they built a kind of uh, magic wall around her. Which meant that she would she would no longer have access to 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 to, to real spiritual wisdom, and so you know this this the kind of battle that uh, that Jesus found himself involved in uh, continues into modern times, and I'm sure it continues today. I mean, a lot of people, uh, uh, I think, a lot of people disapproved of of my writing the the secret history of the world. They thought, well, this this material isn't for for public consumption, but uh, but uh, but that's not what I believe. Obviously, it's interesting. Also, because my experience with shamans is that uh, some of the most powerful I've encountered they've all been women, and uh, I imagine that uh, women are there's something with them that makes them. Uh, channels energy more and maybe it's because they're more they're more allowed to be in tune with their emotions where it yes and more empathetic perhaps um well i think i think i think that's exactly right um uh you know these secret societies where esoteric wisdom and higher 
uh, higher forms of consciousness are cultivated, they tend to be called brotherhoods, don't they? And um, obviously organizations like Freemasonry, which has, uh, does have a living stream of uh, esoteric thinking running through it, it, that's a very masculist organization. I mean, I know they do have women's lodges, but they're a bit of an, uh, an add-on. Um, uh, whereas uh, lone mystics from Hildegard of Bingen to Lorna Byrne have, I think, have, have more often tended to be women. So perhaps in a sense, they haven't needed the, it's come naturally to them, they haven't needed the same conscious uh, cultivation that, that men more often didn't need. To quote Paracelsus again, he, he said something like, the, the housewives of the world have more knowledge in, about medicine than all the doctors together. In. <laughs> That's wonderful, yes, yes, yes. I think I think I think they're more in touch with their intuitive and uh, and the instinctual sides sides of their nature. It would be interesting uh, to to see what would have happened with the world if all those, I mean, most of most of them who were killed were not witches, but I mean, I'm sure some were actually witches. It would be interesting to see if they hadn't massacred all those witches back in the day. Uh, you know, because they kind of killed off a lot of knowledge, I think, probably. Well, I think, yes, I think that's another example of the authorities, uh, many of whom were probably Freemasons and had some inkling of esoteric knowledge, wanting to keep it keep it for themselves. Um, and also, I think, you know, getting back to what we were discussing um, about organized religion, um, the three, the three great religions of the book, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, are patriarchal religions, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why they've sort of had their day. That's one of the reasons why uh, they're in decline because uh, because um, women are are taking their place. And men are also beginning to explore the feminine side of their of their natures uh, much more. Yeah, I think uh, it's healthy to have a bit of both. <laughs> yes, and because uh, you know what happens when you give a woman too much of the male pa- patriarchal mentality, then you get people like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's uh, do do you do you see a, a spiritual significance in um, in those events in America? Uh, no, I don't really. I, I I actually think that they whatever you call them, the elite or the oligarchs and all these people, I think mm. they are actually kind of irrelevant. And I think everything we see in the world now is like some sort of you know when an animal dies it's tw- what's it called uh, this death twitch <laughs> yes I, yes uh, I, I see it a bit you think like it's that. The, de- the death twitch is the old oligarchy that's a wonderful idea i hope you're right 
I think, because I, we in, in England, we don't have as, uh, as an important a figure as Trump, but there's a man, uh, there's a man called Nigel Farage, who was, uh, um, who, who was really the, he was the force behind uh, Brexit. And I remember the first time I saw him, or became aware of him, he was in a, uh, a small airplane, a light aircraft, which crashed in fields in Kent, near where I live. And there was film of him on television staggering from this wreck, uh, bleeding from the head. And I remember thinking at the time, uh, well, here is a man of destiny, not necessarily in a good way, and I think that both, but but both Farage and Trump probably have um, great, though not necessarily good, spiritual beings working through them, because at the moment nobody can stand against them, which is which is quite which is a worry. Um, to to you know to to you and me they look ridiculous, uh, but I think we we do need to take them seriously, um, and I think we live in a time when uh, there is going to be uh, a great uh, a great uh, spiritual battle. Um, Lorna has told me that um, uh, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Uh, great spiritual beings, the highest spiritual beings, find it um, very hard to um, squeeze down into matter, into matter to incarnate. And that's true of um, good spiritual beings and bad spiritual beings. But Lorna told me that she thought that um, uh, the Antichrist has tried to uh, incarnate more than once, um, but now has actually incarnated. And uh, she also sees um, other great uh, spiritual beings uh, on the side of the good, uh, incarnating on the planet and um, uh, so that's uh, I, I'm not suggesting that uh, Nigel Farage or Donald Trump are our figures of that order but I do think I do think we live um, at a time when we may see great and terrifying conflict I don't know if there is some sort of antichrist type of entity but uh, and it could probably be some sort of thing like that existing all I know is that from, from my experience that if such a thing ever would encounter the true light of the whatever divine mystery of the universe mm. it, it is nothing I, I think you're absolutely right um, and uh, I think it's I think it's I think it's wrong to um, to dwell 
too much on on the other side because because if you do um, they have their own fascination and in a way in a way you let them in so that is a danger but I think it's also good to be to be aware uh, to be aware that evil is 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 a real thing and we need to uh, to stand up to it if we if we if we confront it yeah i've um, when i've talked to a lot of people about my views on all this they always think i'm talking about ignoring it or just closing your eyes but no it's true you you know be aware but just don't dwell on it or start getting angry or because then it then you feed it <laughs> i think and yes. actu- actually i cuz i'm a big always loved watching films and uh, all through my life but in the last five years I've actually made a conscious decision and I I haven't in those five years watched a single horror film because I used to watch uh, horror films and I I started you know if you know I believe in this thing where you create your own reality and if you watch horror films once a week Especially those about demonic possessions, but also the ones where where it's just uh, normal killing. Um, it does influence your state of mind, and 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 I did a thing where I for a long time only watched comedies, and I mm. noticed that everything became you know I I entered a different mood, you know. <laughs> so yes. so I know this thing where parents say that video games violent video games create violence and before I didn't mm. agree but now I see well the video game doesn't but you know if you surround yourself with violence and horror and demonic possessions you might end up there eventually so I try to mm-hmm. like uh, you know just the way society brainwashes people even if it's conscious or not I don't know but you know we all getting brainwashed I've decided to try and brainwash myself with what I want to be brainwashed with instead. <laughs> That's very wise. That's very wise. Yes, well, I mean, Lorna told me about um, uh, one of the ways in which people can become possessed. And uh, one of the, she gave an example of somebody uh, playing with uh, a Ouija board as a child. And... Uh, um, the Ouija board uh, didn't didn't seem to have any bad effects at the time, but it but it caused uh, a demonic entity to to hover near that child, and then later on, when that child became an adult uh, and was very angry, it cursed someone and said, "Damn you to hell!" And at that moment. The demon took possession. So I think that's uh, uh, so that I think I think that's an example of how you know some apparently quite innocent pursuits can can have this have this dangerous side to them. But perhaps we should end up by talking about something <laughs> more elevated. <laughs> What do you think happens when when you die? How do you view the afterlife? Um, I think that 
um, dot, 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 what happens when we die um, is that um, we, um, I think we do, we do see all, all, our, all our life parade in front of us. I believe that you know, there are so many different accounts of that. Uh, um, I think it's likely to be true. Um, and I think that's that's caused by the 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 gradual dissolving of our, our soul or etheric body, and and then the, I then I believe that the um, spirit uh, ascends up through the heavenly spheres, um, uh, until it is uh, eventually embraced by God. Do you think uh, we reincarnate? I'm, I'm I'm sure that I'm sure that um, that some people reincarnate. I'm not sure it's a universal phenomenon. I mean, Lorna tells me because uh, she uh, she has very poor health and she has uh, uh, she has she has died several times and have been revived, and so she has. She has been to heaven more than once, and she says that when you are there, you really don't want to come back, even if you've got young children, as she had. She didn't want to come back. Uh, and, uh, and so from her perspective, uh, someone who, who goes to heaven uh, never wants to reincarnate. Did she meet the other people she knew in heaven? Yes, um, yes, uh, she, she she did, and she she says that 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 we all will. Yes. Yeah, I I recently read a very good book about near death experiences called the Dead Saint Chronicles or Dead Saints Chronicles. And it oh, goes, I haven't, I haven't heard of that. Is that. Would you recommend that? Yeah, I thought it was very good. It's, uh, it's uh, five thousand NDE experiences that this guy has like looked at and seen what the similarities are and tried to form a like a cohesive picture of what happens. And mm. um, most of the studies have been done in America, so most of them are Christian. Um, yes. Because I also, and this is also what it says in the book, but it goes with my belief as well that if you are a strong believer in, in like Jesus and you are on your spiritual path, but Jesus is your guide, then you your mind will experience Jesus. But if it's Buddha, then you're, you will experience Buddha. So it's kind of like you project whatever is comfortable with you. Yes, you know. I think I think I think I think that's likely to be true. And also, um, Lorna told me something else very interesting, which is that um, our, you asked about people we knew in the, when they were alive uh, uh, with us on the earth. Uh, Lorna says that that they are allowed to visit us uh, fleetingly. But often to help us and prompt us, and uh, and I was very interested in that because uh, I wanted to know if uh, 
if my father, uh, who died, might might come back to uh, to help me and prompt me, and uh, and I said to Lorna, well, how how would I know what he was trying to tell me? And she said, um, well, uh, if you find yourself thinking about your father, then try to remember the thoughts you were having just before that moment. And that will probably be what your father was trying to tell you. And I thought that was rather a wonderful, rather wonderful thing. And, uh, and it's also, because I know you like to, to look for evidence and proof. I think that's another little experiment you can employ. Um, if you have, if you have, uh, uh, family members or friends who passed over to the other side, you would you would like to hear from. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Um, you, you mentioned in the seventies you you had this LSD experience. Mm. Uh, do you think you were completely different before you had that experience from after? Did it ch- change your a lot, or was it a gradual process? I think I think it did change me. Um, uh, I'm glad I'm stopped. I stopped when I did. I'm glad I. I think I stopped in time. I think uh, some of my friends didn't, and uh, yeah, and I, and I think it damaged them. Um, but I think uh, uh, I'm very wary of recommending uh, hallucinogenics because I think. I think they can affect people badly, um, but but I can just say it was it was good for me, and it did help me to um, tune into ways of thinking, which then later in life made me more receptive to uh, to um, esoteric thought. Um, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this that I I worked in in uh, in publishing and uh, I I um, I'm working on this uh, I'm working on this book with uh, Pete Townsend of the Who. Did I mention that? Yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, well, uh, I now have to go and see him. <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, I have an appoint, appointment to see him, and I, and I need to set off. So, um, so can I just say how much I've enjoyed talking to you? And um, it's been very, very interesting, and uh, it's very good to talk to a kindred spirit, and to say thank you for having me uh, on your program. Yes, thank you a lot for taking the time to to be on it. It's been a real pleasure. Check out his website markboothauthor.com and Twitter at jblackauthor. 
Now let's listen to car seat headrests that have gone from being an obscure little one-man band to recently releasing an album that was voted the fourth best of last year, according to the Rolling Stones magazine. I'd like to think their rise to rock and roll fame is thanks to me playing their songs in many past episodes. But of course, I have nothing to do with it. What I can say, though, is that I have a good ear since I managed to pick them out from the hundreds of independent bands I scoured in order to find music to appear on the podcast. If I can be so bold as to toot my own horn a bit. Of course, I can't play any of their recent songs since they are owned by record companies, but I have the right, according to the brain behind Car Seat Headrest, Will Toledo, to play his older songs. So let's conclude this episode with the little masterpiece Something Soon from the album My Back is Killing Me Baby. Check out Car Seat Headrest at carseatheadrest.bandcamp.com I'll post all the relevant links in the program notes as usual. And uh, you can find the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com And finally, as always... And I've said it many times before, don't forget to like the Facebook page Natural Born Alchemist and uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at Born Alchemist. Freedom is in the mind. Lighting my clothes to keep from screaming Taking pills to keep from dreaming I want to break something important I want to kick my dad in the shin I was referring to the present and past tense It was the only way that I could survive it I want to close my head in the car door I 